Welcome and thank you for tuning in to the Grove Church Online. My name is Pastor Nick and I have the absolute privilege of pastoring the Grove Church right here in Fontana, California. Listen, I am so thankful that we get to spend uh, this time talking about God's word, listening to what God has to share with us. And we get to do this without any boundaries. When we meet online, it's an opportunity for the gospel to go further than it ever has before. And so I'm excited for what God is going to do with this message. And I pray that you would share this experience with somebody else and we'd love for you to get connected to the Grove Church. And so if this is your first experience here online with us, we want to see you in person. We meet at the Art Depot in Fontana, California on Sundays. And so you can go on our social media to see our most updated times for our gatherings. And you can do that by going to Instagram where we are the Grove.Church. You could also go to our website, yourgrovechurch.org to find out the latest about what's happening. But we want to get you connected to the Grove Church. So you can go on our website, fill out a connect card, let us know you're watching and who you are, and we'll get in contact with you. We want you to be a part of our community, especially if you don't have a home church. Now is the time to get plugged in because we believe at the Grove Church that when you are rootless, you are fruitless. And so we want to help you develop some deep roots right here at the Grove Church. So you can do all of that after the, today's message. And so listen, I don't want to keep you waiting any longer. I believe that God's got a great word for you. Um, I believe that when he gave it to me, it was necessary and specific for right now. And so I am praying for you as you listen to this message. I pray that it stirs something in your heart and I pray that it sparks you to action. Hey, let's jump in and we'll see you right after the message. got your Bibles, please do me a favor. Um, turn to Psalm chapter 33. That's where we're going to start off in today's message. Psalm chapter 33. We're going to look at verses four through 22. And I'm going to read this text. We're going to pray over this message. Uh, and I'll give you my message title as well. Psalms chapter 33 verses four through 22. Here's what it says. For the word of the Lord holds true and we can trust everything he does. He loves whatever is just and good. The unfailing love of the Lord fills the earth. The Lord merely spoke and the heavens were created. He breathed the word and all the stars were born. He assigned the sea its boundaries and locked the oceans in vast reservoirs. Verse eight, let the whole world fear the Lord and let everyone stand in awe of him. Everyone say in awe. For when he spoke, the world began. It appeared at his command. The Lord frustrates the plans of the nations and thwarts all their schemes. But the Lord's plans stand firm forever. His intentions can never be shaken. What joy for the nation whose God is the Lord, whose people he has chosen as his inheritance. The Lord looks down from heaven and sees the whole human race. From his throne, he observes all who live on the earth. Verse 15, he made their hearts so he understands everything they do. The best equipped army cannot save a king, nor is great strength enough to save a warrior. Don't count on your war horse to give you victory. For all its strength, it cannot save you. I would describe that as bars. I love this text and, and what Psalm is telling us. I would describe that as bars. Uh, verse 18, it says, but the Lord watches over those who fear him, those who rely on his unfailing love. He rescues them from death and he keeps them alive in times of famine. We put our hope in the Lord he is our help and our shield. In him, our hearts rejoice for we trust in his holy name. Last verse, verse 22. Let your unfailing love surround us, Lord, for our hope is in you alone. Today, I'm going to be preaching on the subject of stars or stripes. 
If you're with someone or even if you're by yourself, I just want you to say this to yourself. Ask yourself this question, stars or stripes? Stars or stripes? That's going to be our message title today, and I'll break that down in just a moment. But let's pray over this word. Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity to be here in your presence God, I just pray that you would have your way, God, through this word. Let your encouragement flow to your people, God. God, let it challenge us. Let it provoke us to action, Jesus. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't just hear this word, but we would become doers of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, stars or stripes is the question that I am asking all of you today. Stars or stripes? For those of you who are tuning in, uh, you know, and, and those of you who may not be from the United States of America, but Monday in America, we are we call it the 4th of July. And so we are celebrating Independence Day. It is the day that America celebrates freedom from Britain. And you will notice everyone's pride will be on display tomorrow for the 4th of July. And so our pride for America and the flag of the United States of America will be everywhere. I mean, everywhere. Grocery stores, you'll probably see some cars driving around with flags, uh, but pride for America is going to be on display everywhere. And I was listening to the radio recently, and they were talking about the 4th of July, and I rarely listen to the radio, but for whatever reason, the host was sharing on a topic surrounding the flag of the United States of America. And so I kind of tuned in just to hear what he was talking about. And what he was describing in this segment was that there is a flag code. Yes, you heard me correctly. There is a code for the flag. And, and this flag code or guidelines are, are for displaying the American flag. And so there are actually guidelines. As long as I have been uh, alive and cognizant of my citizenship as an American, I have never, ever, ever, ever known that there was guidelines for displaying the American flag. But he was describing these different guidelines. And I thought, man, this is, this is incredible. The fact that there are guidelines for displaying the American flag. Um, but here's something that he was describing. He was saying that public law 94-344, uh, known as the federal flag code, contains rules for handling and displaying the U.S. flag. While the federal code contains no penalties for misusing the flag, states have their own flag codes and may impose penalties. So maybe you're in a state right now that, and you may not even know this, but there are penalties for misusing or misdisplaying the American flag. The language of the federal code makes clear that the flag is a living symbol. I never knew this ever. This is the first time I've ever heard this. And so you're probably wondering, well, what, what are some of these guidelines or what are the rules for displaying the American flag? And so I am glad you asked. I decided that I'm going to pull some of the rules for flying the flag uh, so that you would be well-versed come this 4th of July. But here are some of the rules for displaying and flying the American flag. Uh, you are supposed to display the flag in public only from sunrise to sunset. Bet you didn't know that. Only from sunrise to sunset. The flag may be displayed at all times if and only if it's illuminated during darkness. So maybe you want to keep your flag up all year round or all day long. You can. During the daytime, you're okay. But at night, you have to put some sort of light or illuminate the flag in darkness. It's crazy. The flag should not be subject to weather damage. So it should not be displayed during rain, snow, and windstorms unless, it, unless it's an all-weather flag. And so you might need to be checking your flag, or when you go buy a flag, maybe you need to be mindful of whether or not your flag is an all-weather flag, because it can't be subjected to different types of weather. The flag should be hoisted briskly and lowered ceremoniously. And so you can go up and, and you know, I, I've seen people raise the flag and they do it pretty quickly. And, and that is fine. But when you lower the flag for any reason, it's got to be done ceremoniously. 
Out of respect for the U.S. flag, never display it with the union down except as a symbol of distress. And so in other words, you can't display the American flag upside down. The union of the flag or the, the 50 stars that are on the flag, you can't display that upside down unless there is distress. In a group of flags displayed from staff, so the poles, the U.S. flag should be at the center and at the highest point. And so if you've got 50 different flags, the United States uh, flag should be displayed in the center and it should be the highest flag out of all the flags. So these are some of the rules. These are not all of them, but these are some of the rules for flying the American flag. And as I was hearing this, I was thinking to myself, man, and I couldn't help but think this, but why don't we show the same amount of respect and reverence for God in our country that we do for the flag of the United States of America? I mean, that's, that's a question to ponder. Why do we show such respect and honor and reverence for the United States flag, but we don't have the same honor and reverence for God in our country? We say all the right things in America. We say all the right things. We say that we are one nation under God, but our actions and our hearts rarely align or subscribe to that idea in totality. And so we can say it and we, we honor God with our lips, but our hearts are far from him. And so I thought it was really interesting. Think about it. Think about even the Pledge of Allegiance itself. Even the order of what we say gives less reverence for God. And you probably never thought twice about this, or you probably never thought that this was even, you know, something that, that, that you would consider. But think about it. So it says, the, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, then one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. And see, I, I just, I'll read it again, just so, you, just so you have it. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God and, and indivisible with liberty and justice for all. And so God is in there. God is in there, but it comes after we have pledged our allegiance to the flag and the republic. The problem is that that's actually the problem. The problem is that we declare our allegiance to the flag and a republic or country, but not to God. Our actions don't show that we are pledging allegiance to God. There are so many rules around flying the flag, but there's so many informal rules about the Bible or reverence for God outside of scripture. And so you will probably find that that if you go outside and you burn a flag, that is probably less acceptable than if you were to go outside and burn a Bible. If you were to go outside and burn a Bible, sure, there might be some intrigue, but for all the wrong reasons. If you go out and burn an American flag, you might have a hard time getting away because as a country, we have such pride in the American flag. We have such pride in who we are as a country that people are willing to die for their country. People are willing to get in a fight, a fist fight over a flag. And so I thought that was interesting to know that there is a code for flying the flag, but there's so many informal codes and, and informal in the sense that it's not globally or uh, recognized by everyone. Unless you're a Christian or believer, there is less reverence for the word of God or even the symbol of God, which could be the Bible, or, or let's say even the Christian flag. There is less reverence for that flag than there is for the flag of the United States of America. And so the problem is that we declare our allegiance to the flag and the country, but we don't pledge our allegiance to God. And so being one nation under God is just something that we say. But there are millions of people who don't even believe in God or a God at all. And so I, I figured it'd be nice to share some facts about the Pledge of Allegiance. It'd be nice to share, you know, why we say what we say and why what is included is included in the Pledge of Allegiance. And so I figured... Let me share some of this because it's, it's new to me, so it might be new to you as well. So the Pledge of Allegiance was written in August 1892 by the socialist minister Francis Bellamy. In its original form, it read, I pledge allegiance to my flag and the republic for which it stands, one nation indivisible with liberty and justice for all. 
So it's interesting. It's a little different than what we know the Pledge of Allegiance to be today. In, uh, in 1923, the words, the flag of the United States of America were added. At this time, it read, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation indivisible with liberty and justice for all. So even still, in 1923, the second iteration of the Pledge of Allegiance still did not include God. And the reason why I'm pointing this out is that God was not in the original Pledge of Allegiance in the first place. And so it's interesting that today we say this Pledge of Allegiance and we say one nation under God, but that was not the original intent of the forefathers, the founding fathers, and Francis Bellamy who created the Pledge of Allegiance. It wasn't until 1954, in response to the communist threat of the times, that President Eisenhower encouraged Congress to add the words under God, creating the 31-word pledge we say today. And so Bellamy's daughter, when hearing this, objected to this alteration. But nonetheless, here's the way the Pledge of Allegiance reads today. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. At the time that this, this change was made, uh, the United States wanted to distinguish itself from the godless communist countries is one of the reasons why this was added to the Pledge of Allegiance. And so under God was never meant to be a part of the Pledge of Allegiance. It was always meant for us to pledge allegiance to the flag and the country and not even include God all along. And that's the way some people live their lives today, without a single care or thought about God. But they will fight for their country and they will pledge allegiance to their country and they will go out and headhunt anyone who doesn't follow suit. They have more pride and loyalty to country than they do to Jesus. And that, my friends, is the problem. The way things are going in America, the way things are going in our country, the way things are going in our world, it's only a matter of time before they remove even the simple phrase, one nation under God, from the Pledge of Allegiance altogether. In, in lieu of being inclusive and, you know, diverse, we will drop God from the Pledge of Allegiance and probably, or either we'll drop God from the Pledge of Allegiance altogether, or we'll add an S to God so that it reads God's. We'll drop the capital G and make it a lowercase g so that we are referencing the many different gods that people serve instead of the one true God, the God who created heavens and the earth, the God who sustains everything that we see, the God who is still still doing miracles today. The God who sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. America at some point in time will make the decision to remove God altogether because it was never meant to be a part of the Pledge of Allegiance in the first place. So who's stopping this change that was implemented in 1954 from being reversed? As a matter of fact, and I didn't know this until I looked it up today, but as a matter of fact, the question, is the First Amendment's establishment clause violated if public school students recite the pledge with the words under God in it? That is actually a question that is in question today. If so, is the, is the second part of the question, should the phrase be struck from the pledge? And so the U.S. Supreme Court is expected to hand down its decision on this question and answer their answer to this question this spring or summer. So we could be facing a reality. And a lot of you who are born after 1954, you are going to be facing a reality where the Pledge of Allegiance does not include the words one nation under God. And so we're getting to a point in this country, if you have not already seen the signs, we are getting to a point in this country where God and the thought or idea of honoring God is taking less precedent than some of the material things that we see around us. We are fighting for, you have, a, you have people in America who are fighting more for inclusion and diversity as opposed to fighting for God to stay in the midst of our world. You have people who are fighting 
fighting to remove this, this simple phrase, one nation under God. And my fear for the people who don't believe in God is that once we become a country who removes under God from our pledge of allegiance, we will be a country that is going to have a hard time sustaining itself. We are going to be a country that's going to fall behind even further. We are going to be a country that no longer has precedent over other countries because the fact that we are a nation under God as it currently stands means that we have freedom of religion. And man, do I fear a world in which my kids have to grow up where freedom of religion is not a thing. And maybe I'm jumping ahead. Maybe I'm thinking too far ahead, but somebody has to, because right now we are dealing with the situation. We're under God, a nation under a God. That simple phrase is under attack. The freedom we should really be celebrating in this country is the fact that we have the opportunity to be freed and healed from our sins because a man named Jesus loved us enough to take 39 stripes on his back. That is what we should be celebrating every single day. That is what we should be excited for is the fact that we have the opportunity to find freedom from our sins. We have the opportunity to be free from death and eternal life and damnation in hell. We have the opportunity because of the stripes that were on the back of Jesus, not the stripes that are on the American flag, to find freedom and everlasting life. We have have that opportunity as a result of the 39 stripes on Jesus's back. We should be less concerned about caring and honoring the stars that are on the flag, and we should be focused on honoring these stripes that are on his back. So my question to you to start this sermon, stars or stripes, which one are you going to choose? Is it the stars? Is it the flag? Is it the country, which is also representative of all the things that are not of God, all the things that, that take precedent over God, the social media, the, the, the music, the, the life experiences, the things that don't please God, those are representative of the stars that I'm talking about. So is it going to be stars or is it going to be stripes? Is it going to be the stars that you see or is it going to be the stripes on his back that we have more reverence for? Since we say it in the Pledge of Allegiance, one nation under God, how can we truly be that? How can we truly be one nation under God? That's the question that I want to pose to you. And where we're going today in today's sermon is, I want to help us truly be a subservient nation for God and under God and to God, showing honor for his stripes, showing honor for everything that he's done for us, over honor for the flag. And, and I pray this message reaches beyond Fontana because I think there is a legitimate crisis that we're facing in our world, world where everything that is contradictory to the word of God is becoming popularized. And I don't want this message to be misconstrued as if I'm dumping on the United States or I'm dumping on the flag. I honor those who have fought for this country. I honor those who, are, who have been willing to give their life to fight for our freedom every single day. But at the end of the day, I think the true fight that we all have to contend with is the fight for religious freedom and the fight for God to remain a prominent part of our society and not something that gets X'd out because people want to be more inclusive of other views. The only view that matters is they is the perspective that there is one God, a God who came to save this world, a God who sent his son to die for us so that we could have eternal life. That is the only truth that there is that we should be fighting for on a day-to-day -day basis. And so I pray that this message goes beyond Fontana because I want to help us become a subservient nation to God as the Pledge of Allegiance currently says. I want us to truly be a nation under God, but I think we have some work to do. So here's the first thing that I think we have to do. In order to be a nation that is under God, we have to find the fear of God again. I'm gonna say that again, find the fear of God again. In Psalm chapter 33, verses six through nine, here's what it says. It said, the Lord merely spoke and the heavens were created. 
He breathed the word and all the stars were born. He assigned the sea its boundaries and locked the oceans in vast reservoirs. Let the whole world fear the Lord and let everyone stand in awe of him. For when he spoke, the world began. It appeared at his command. There is only one person known to man who can do all of that and then some, and that is God. The word fear that is used in this text is meant to communicate reverence and, and, and awe, not fear in the sense of being afraid of God. That when we think of fear as human beings, we think being afraid, we think worry, we think all kind of terror and all these other things. But this word fear actually means reverence and awe for God. This is probably one of the greatest misconceptions about God is that he is some angry God who is looking to destroy us and pick us off for whatever reason. And that is not the case. We serve a God who loves us. We serve a God who only requires that we love him in return. We serve that type of God. And so we don't serve a God who is waiting for us to mess up and, and waiting for us to do something wrong so that he can kill us off. No, we serve a God who created the heavens and earth. We serve a God who breathed the word and all the stars were born. We serve a God who assigned the seas its boundaries and lock the oceans and vast reservoirs. This is the God that we serve. And I love this quote from A.W. Tozer. It says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. For this reason, the greatest question before the church is always God himself. And the most portentous fact about any man is not what he at a given time may say or do, but what he is in deep heart, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So if when you think about God, nothing comes to mind, what does that say about you? If when you think about God, you are thinking about a plural God as in God's with the lowercase g, what does that say about you? If you think about God and what you think about is his loving kindness and forgiveness and mercy and the hope that he gives and the encouragement that he gives, that is the type of God that we should be thinking about. What do you believe about God? That is due, that he is due reverence, glory, and honor, or that he's an angry or somehow unjust God. What do you think about God? Or that you have to be perfect all the time and can't make a mistake. Is that what you think about God? What you believe about God says more about you than it does about God himself. And so I encourage us to not, not just be fearful of God, but to find the fear of God again, to find the reverence and awe for God again. Here's a quote that says, a healthy fear of God is not debilitating or destructive, but it motivates us to cling closer to Christ in desperate and preserving faith and trust. So it's not about getting further away from God, but it's actually this fear and this awe of God is all about getting closer to God. I can remember being a kid growing up in church and, and uh, I was learning about the reverence and fear of God from, a, from an early age. And I wasn't even thinking about, you know, uh, that, that this is something that I'm going to I'm going to honor and respect when I get older. I was just thinking about like, man, they would do things like not allow us to get in the pulpit when we were younger. And so they would, they would, we would get in trouble for getting on the pulpit for any reason, unless we were up there to sing with my dad. And so it was, it was them teaching us about honoring and revering God and less about them trying to be mean and not allow us to play on the drums when we know good well we shouldn't have been there. It was really about teaching us about the fear and reverence and awe of God. And even the Bible itself was such a sacred book. Like you wouldn't put anything on top of it. You wouldn't, uh, you wouldn't step on it. You wouldn't put it on the floor. You were mindful about where you placed the Bible. All these things were to teach us as young kids the fear and the reverence of God. 
in in our Bible, the text that we're that we're working from uh, is likely likely has a title, right? It, it likely describes something that's going on at the time that the passage was written. And in my Bible, and probably most of yours, it describes it this passage of text that we're reading as the sovereignty of the Lord in creation and history. And sovereignty is all about recognizing God's authority over creation and the earth. I think we have to get back to seeing and honoring God in that way seeing God as sovereign in our world and not something to play with and not in the sense of like you can never go to him but in the sense of I've got to honor God I've got to have reverence for God I've got to have all for God because he created all of this I think we have to get back to seeing God as sovereign and not taking him for granted in other words, we have to put some respect on God's name. We have to be mindful of who he is as the creator of heaven and earth. There is no one before him. There is no one like him and there will be no one after him. So we have to have the same reverence and sovereignty and hold God in high regard if we are going to be a nation that is truly subservient to God. When we have a holy reverence and fear of God, it actually looks more like love than it looks like terror or dread or any other negative connotation we might have when it comes to fear. And God responds favorably when we have a fear, a healthy fear of God. He responds favorably when this is our disposition. Look at what it says in Psalm chapter 33, verse 18 through 19. It says, but the Lord watches over those who fear him, those who rely on his unfailing love. He rescues them from the death and keeps them alive in times of famine. So we've got to find the fear of God again to truly be one nation under God. The next point for us to be subservient as a nation under God is to live like in God we trust. To live like in God we trust. Psalm chapter 33, verse 16 through 17. It says, the best equipped army cannot save a king, nor is great strength enough to save a warrior. Don't count on your war horse to give you victory. For all its strength, it cannot save you. I, woo, this is one of those texts that you read in the Bible that makes you think like, man, God had to have been some sort of lyricist back in his day because this again is bars. The best equipped army cannot save a king, nor is great strength enough to save a warrior. In other words, stop putting your trust in man and keep it in God. That's what it's telling us. Here's, here's what it says. It says, uh, don't count on your war horse to give you victory. What is a war horse? The literal definition of a war horse is, uh, is, is uh, a large, strong horse with good stamina. And the first war horses were bred in England during the Middle Ages. The primary use of these horses was a cavalry's mounts for heavily armored knights. And so those who were riding into battle in all of their armor and all of their gear would use a war horse to proceed in battle. One of the most well-known or famous or victorious war horses was actually Alexander the Great's war horse. And you can read about that. But a war horse in the literal sense was an actual horse who would ride a knight or soldier into battle. The figurative definition of a war horse is a soldier or a politician or sports player who has fought many campaigns or contests. And so we've been living in a world where we have been putting our trust and the, the ability to win in an actual war horse or somebody who represents a war horse, somebody who has won many campaigns or contests. We look for the bravest, most successful person that we can find, and we are putting our trust in that person. Think of the politician that you would fight and lose an arm over, uh, or think about, you know, the last vote of the president of the United States. This world has gone mad and crazy over a mere person. And we as human beings have to put our trust in God and leave it there. Look at your neighbor, whoever you're listening or watching this message with, and tell them, put your trust in God and leave it there. That is what we're going to have to do if we're going to be one nation under God. We've got to live like in God we 
trust. In other words, don't trust man to give you victory. Don't rely on the unpredictable nature of human beings, but trust in the Lord who is consistent, who never changes and will always give us the victory. Trust in that God, not in some mere mortal human being to deliver victory for you. In Jeremiah chapter 17, verses five through six, here's what it says. It says, thus says the Lord, curse is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Do not put your trust in man. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. There's two different words for man that's used in this passage. The first refers to a strong and capable male. So you think about a warrior or a wrestler or an athlete. Uh, it, it is a strong male. The second is a generic term for humankind as made in the image of God. And so it's telling us don't put your trust in the strong person because they've won a lot of battles and they've won a lot of wars. And don't put your trust in just a mere human being. One cannot trust in God and humankind. To turn one's heart toward people is to turn away from God. So to put your trust in man, in a warrior, in a president, in a politician, in a musician, or whoever it is, to put your trust in human beings is to turn your trust away from God. And we have to be a nation that lives like in God we truly trust. I think about John the Baptist when I think about that saying, in God we trust. When I think about this point, I think about him. Because when his followers saw Jesus was baptizing other people, John didn't become jealous, but he understood what was happening. As a matter of fact, he had preached before Jesus even showed up on the scene that there was someone coming after him. And so John the Baptist always knew that he was not the end, but he was a means to an end. And so he knew that he was simply the vehicle and conduit to Jesus. And once Jesus came on the scene, he was supposed to take over all along. So when John's followers were telling him, yo, this guy is baptizing other people, John was like, yes, I know this is the person I was telling you about. He understood that his followers should not be putting their trust and faith in him, but rather in the man that they were tattling on. That's what John the Baptist knew. As great as he was, he knew that Jesus still was greater. As great as some of the people you follow are, as great of the politicians that you, you've decided that you would align your policies and politics with, as great as they might be, and sure, they might have done some great, illustrious things in their life. There is nobody who we should trust more than Jesus Christ. And that is what John the Baptist shows us. As a matter of fact, what John says in John chapter 3, verses 30, he says, he, referring to Jesus, must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. And I think if John were to continue writing this out, he would probably say, he, in referring to Jesus, must become greater and greater and greater and greater, and I, John the Baptist, I, Nicholas, you must become less and less and less and less. I've got to put my faith in Jesus. I've got to put my trust in Jesus. You've got to put your trust in God. You've got to put your trust in Jesus. As a nation, we have to take our cue and put our trust in God and Jesus the same way John the Baptist did. Do you know the official motto of the United States of America? This, is, this blew me away. I didn't realize that this was the official motto of the United States of America. What it, the, the motto used to be e pluribus unum, which means out of many, there is one. In 1956, the official motto of the United States of America was changed to in God we trust. In God we trust. And so here we are as an America, as, as America, as human beings, our official motto is in God we trust, but yet we can't even 
We can't even remember the last time we went to church. We can't even remember the last time we prayed. We can't even remember the last time that we brought up something that would honor God more than we honor our own feelings. As a country, we have to take our cue from our motto and say it is not about the, the many of us or the one of us, but it is about God more than anything. So we've got to live like in God we trust. Here's the last point I want to make today for us to be a subservient nation under God. Here's what we have to do. We've got to put hope in its proper place. Put hope in its proper place. Here's what Psalm 33 verses 20 through 22 says. It says, we put our hope in the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him, our hearts rejoice. For we trust in his holy name. Let your unfailing love surround us. Lord, for our hope is in you alone. I just want you to tell someone that, someone who's sitting next to you, or maybe you just need to tell yourself, my hope is in you alone, Lord. My hope is in you alone. When things get rough, my hope is in you alone. When things are challenging, my hope is in you alone alone. When they start coming up with new laws and legislations, my hope is in you alone. When I'm having a bad day or I hate everybody around me, my hope is in you alone. This means that regardless of what is happening around me, I remain steadfast in the things of God, knowing that without God, we can do nothing, but with him, we can do everything. So when things get rough, my hope is in you alone. My hope is in you alone. No matter the circumstance, no matter the situation, that is me, that is us putting hope in its proper place. Our hope should be in God alone. To be a subservient nation is what we've been talking about. That's how we started this message. How can we be a nation under God? Truly, truly, we've got to be subservient to him. What does it mean to be subservient to God? It means prepare to obey him unquestioningly. That means being prepared to obey him no matter what it is, no matter the circumstance, no matter the situation, whatever the word of God says, that's what we've got to filter everything through. If it doesn't align with God's word, then we got to forget about it. If God is speaking to us clearly and telling us what he wants and what he needs from us, we've got to be willing to listen to him unquestioningly. No matter what it is, I've got to be prepared to obey him. That's what it means to be subservient. It means that we got to be less important. We've got to be subordinate. We've got to be the ones who take the back seat and allow God to drive. One of my favorite scriptures is found in Deuteronomy, and it says, see how you led us through the wilderness, which is an indication that we don't go through hard times alone. We don't go through challenges alone, but God leads us through those things, and all we have to do is sit back and trust in God. All we have to do is put our hope in him alone, that he will get us out of whatever situation we're going through. We've got to be less important in every situation, and we've got to be like John the Baptist and say, he must become greater and greater. I must become less and less. My hope is in you alone. So I am allowing you to have the keys to this car and drive us and take us wherever you want to lead us, God. My hope is in you alone. Another definition for what it means to be subservient is serving as a means to an end. It is not all about us. It is not all about me. It is about God only. And so I am not the end. I am a means to the end. My messages, my, my life, who I am as a believer is meant to direct Jesus to is meant to direct others to Jesus. That is my goal. That is my purpose. No matter what I've been called to do, at the end of the day, I am supposed to be leading people to Jesus. If we are going to be a subservient nation under God, we have to be a nation that leads people to Jesus. Our hope has to be in Jesus that he can fix whatever craziness and foolishness is going on around us. That is where our hope has to be. 
In Psalm chapter 33, verses four through five, we read this earlier. It says, for the word of the Lord holds true and we can trust everything he does. He loves whatever is just and good. The unfailing love of the Lord fills the earth. And here's a quote that I'll share and we'll end here. But it says, although the world is filled with evil and with people who have no thought of God, believers must look beyond the apparent confusion of the world to see God's goodness, the goodness that manifests, the goodness that manifests itself every time the sun rises, a bird sings, and a mother lovingly embraces her child. His goodness, God holds together the earth and provides the sustenance of all people. Believing this in spite of what we actually see around us is a demonstration of our hope being in God. I think we live in a great country. I'll say that. I'll be the first to say that. I think we live in a great country. I really do. But I also think we forget that we need Jesus. That's it. When when people are asking why the world is like it is today, my simple response is that we need Jesus. Jesus, if we had more of a reverence for God, if we had more of a reverence for the stripes that Jesus took on his back for us, if we had more of an honor and reverence for Jesus, we would be in a much better place as people. We need Jesus. That's the reality of the situation that we're dealing with. That's the only way we're going to be able to rise above all the craziness we see around us. It is if we are putting our hope and trust in Jesus. That's that's the beginning of revering and honoring God again. That is the beginning. It is putting our hope in him. It is allowing him to carry us and have the say-so and be the thing that we use as the, 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 the measuring stick for everything that we do. It is God. It is not ourselves. It is not the, the most famous politician. It is not the most tenured politician. It is God, the one who sustains everything that we see around us. That's where we've got to put our hope. We've got to start being a nation that trusts in God above everything. And when we start doing that, when we start doing all these things, when we start putting our hope in its proper place, and that is in God, when we start living like we actually trust God, that that is where it starts. When we start getting to a point where we find the fear of God again, all of these three things, if we can do these three things as a nation, we will truly live out what it means to be one nation under God, and a lot of the mess that we're experiencing today, we will have such encouragement and such peace about because we are allowing God to control everything that happens and not trying to be heroes ourselves and trying to do it ourselves, but really relying on God and not leaning on our own understanding. Every head bowed and every eye closed as we pray. Thank you for tuning in to today's message. I pray that it blessed you just as much as it blessed me in delivering it and sharing it with you all. Listen, there is a prayer that we typically will pray here at the Grove Church. And so if you've never given your life to Christ, I wanna give you an opportunity to do that right now. And I wanna caution you that there's no magic in the prayer. There's no extra secret sauce in the prayer. What it really is though, it's it's you making a commitment to make Jesus Lord of your life. And so whether you are someone who has never given your life to Christ before, or you feel like, man, I need to find my way back to Christ, this is an opportunity for us to do that together. And so I just wanna pray with you, and then we'll talk about what's happening here at The Grove, but let's pray together as a church family, wherever you're at, I hope that you can say this out loud. If you're alone, if you're with someone else, say it with them, but let's pray this prayer together as a family. Here's the prayer, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. So today I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. With this profession of faith, today I am saved.
And so if you've prayed that prayer with us, I want you to celebrate. Give yourself a pat on the back. If you're with someone else who prayed that prayer, take them out, get them some ice cream, do something to celebrate with them because they just made one of the greatest decisions that they'll ever make in their life. And really, to be honest, the hard work is actually what happens after you pray the prayer. And so I thank you for being bold enough to pray out loud and with others, but now the real work begins. And we advise you and, and really just tell you, do three simple things things. The first thing is to get connected, find some community. And, and you can find community right here at the Grove Church if you don't have a local church. If you do have a local church, I really encourage you to get involved. It's one of the greatest things that you can do to continue to build on your walk with Jesus. So find some community. The next thing I would say is just continue to read your words. Start listening to what God has to say about you. And you can read all about it in his word. And then the last thing is start communicating with God. Every help healthy relationship is built on really great communication. And so if you can start communicating with God right now, just like you would your friends, start talking to him today. And not only that, but communication is about listening as well. So tune in to what God is speaking to you. Make space to listen and hear from God so that you know exactly what God is calling you to do. Do those three things and that will help to ensure your walk with Christ is a fruitful one. And it'll help you on the right and it'll help you stay on the right path as you're walking towards him. Listen, we've got a lot of great things happening here at the Grove Church. The first thing is that you just prayed that prayer, so we're excited for you. But we've got a lot of things that are happening. And one of the things I'm so excited about is our Givers Foundation. And it's an opportunity for us to bless our community as well as surrounding communities. I bring this up because we are right now in a time of giving. And anything that you give to the Grove Church, 15% of that goes right to the Givers Foundation, which goes right back out to helping to serve our local community and surrounding communities. And so we love for you to partner with us on those efforts. We love for you to partner with the Grove Church in general. And so you can be a blessing in your giving by texting GIVE to the number that'll be on your screen. You can also go to our website, yourgrovechurch.org slash GIVE, and you can give there as well. Again, we love for you to partner with us and you're sowing into really good ground. And I believe that God is gonna produce a harvest that this city the space in time has never seen before. And I am trusting him for that. So come along for the ride, partner with us, get connected to the Grove Church. We love to meet you in person uh, and, and we love to just, just see what God is going to do in your life as a result of being connected to the Grove Church. Hey, I thank you for tuning in today. I pray that your time has been blessed. I pray that you'll share this message with someone, send it to them, email it, send them a link to our YouTube or social media Media, but but I pray that you can share this and that the word of God gets out to those people in your sphere of influence. I believe that God spoke something really profound in today's message, and I pray that God is going to continue growing the harvest in your heart from this word being sown deep into the soil of your heart. Hey, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for your family. I'm praying for everyone connected to you. And I believe the best is yet to come in your life. Thank you for connecting to the Grove Church. We'll see you later.